This morning we are carrying on a series, which is, this is the last week in the series actually, in the run-up to Easter, entitled The Life We've Always Wanted. I just realised, looking at that picture, it does look a little bit like the life we've always wanted is to live in Switzerland, (laughs) doesn't it? Yeah, there's a few Swiss people here saying, yeah, but you've left, you're here, so go figure. Um, I have to say that uh, I have struggled to prepare for this morning more than I can remember struggling to prepare to speak. Um, When I was studying for a theology degree, I occasionally found it very hard to prepare to speak because I was being, my, my mind was being changed in some area of understanding God and his ways in the course that I was studying. And then it fell in the schedule for me to preach on that subject. And it's impossible to pretend to have a clarity that's currently been disturbed. And looking back, those have been amongst my most long-winded and least clear sermons. So we need to pray in a minute. Um, The challenge I have this morning is it's not a complex area of theology, but the practical subject that lies before us is one in which God has got me in the mangle right now, uh, straightening me out, as um, some of you may know. Um, This series is about establishing a pattern of life in which we enjoy all that God's got for us. And, uh, and I know that I enjoy a huge amount of blessing from God, but uh, as I come to speak this morning about continuing this, this theme of rhythms that make room for God in our lives, I find that I'm not speaking as an expert in practice. I, I feel less like a sort of Olympic champion like Mo Farah. I don't know how well I'll do in the marathon this morning. A bit more like Eddie the Eagle who was really willing, some of you will know this, sorry, that's a, pe- people of a certain age may have no idea what I'm talking about, I'm sorry. Eddie the Eagle attempted to represent Britain in the ski jump and didn't do very well. He was a local celebrity where I grew up in Cheltenham, actually, because he came from Cheltenham. He used to sponsor the local opticians, that was how big an athlete he was. And uh, so, um, can we pray? Because I think that it's still right for me to... I, I wondered whether I should give this subject over to someone else who would, come, who would be more expert and was tempted but concluded that uh, there was something healthy about someone who's less than expert talking something through. And it may be less clear and kind of bish-bash-bosh than, uh, and, and all of that, but I trust that God is going to meet with us as, uh, as I share a few thoughts that come from my attempt to grapple with establishing the life that I've always wanted. Father God, thank you that you're at work in all of our lives. None of us are the finished article. Thank you, as we've looked at the last few weeks, um, three weeks ago, Sabbath, rest. You plan for us to have rest. I confess myself not to be that great at stopping I'm more of a Martha than a Mary, always about trying to get something good done and really struggling just to stop and to sit at your feet. I pray that you'd continue to change me. And for anyone else here who identifies with that, I pray that you'd change them too. 
thank you for what we were able to look at a couple of weeks ago about there being spiritual blessing that's available to us every day, like manna for the Israelites in the desert. And I'm sorry, Lord, for all those days when the manna was left on the ground all day and I never took time to collect it, but carried on running on empty. And again, for any of my sisters and brothers here today who made the same mistake and are still making it, Lord, I pray that you change something in us this morning. We confess our powerlessness. Uh, any of us who've been Christians any length of time will have listened to any number of talks and read any number of bits of the Bible, heard any number of testimonies about the benefits of walking closely with you day by day. And uh, there may be some, some cynicism that has grown up in us that says, well, yeah, I, I understand that in my head, but that's, I, it's not yet been how it is in my life. And an acceptance of that. Lord, I pray that you'd, you'd um, refresh us this morning, that you'd break through that in us and effect some real change for the good, that we would enjoy you more than we ever have before. I pray that in Jesus' name. Good. And Danny is going to remind us a bit of what took place last Sunday as we broke into different workshops. I actually don't know what you're going to do, which is fairly typical in our relationship. <laughs> so, yeah, he's not wrong. Go ahead. ahead. Um, yeah, so last week here at uh, OCC, we had the opportunity to break into a little workshops, creative workshops, the idea being to uh, enrich our worship as a lifestyle creatively. And I was uh, honoured and privileged to run a workshop, one of those workshops, which was the creative writing workshop. And amongst um, all the other wild and wacky stuff that we did in the short time we had, we, did, we looked at something called fragmented text, um, basically taking some text, in this case, scripture, and just taking a look at it out of context, taking a look at it out of sequence, um, taking the words, putting them in a different order, with a different emphasis. And as we did this, it, it draws out a different meaning, a different aspect, a different perspective, if you will, especially verses of scripture that we know when they just roll off our tongue. Um, and that takes us into a very special place of worship. Spontaneously, at the very, very end of the workshop, literally in the last six or seven minutes, I just had this sudden idea to record some of the, the text and um, run a bit of a track underneath it um, and to present that here with, for you guys as you know, part of the, the worship this morning. So um, that's what we're going to do, just going to share, taking a little bit of text, working with that text, something that we know, something we've heard before, but maybe drawing out a different perspective because we've mixed it a little bit. Um, I had a bunch of precious people in the workshop. Uh, the two voices that you'll hear on this track um, are Aruni van der Halter and Josh Wells. Thank you. Evil. Darkest Valley. Fear. Comfort. Walk through. Your rod. 
valley. For you are with me, even though I walk the darkest valley, darkest valley, darkest valley, fear no evil, comfort me, darkest valley, fear no evil, comfort me. Your staff, fear no evil, walk through, comfort me. Trouble. Peace. In Christ. World. Hidden. Cart. Overcome. So that in me. Told you these things. Trouble. You will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. You may have peace. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There is no need to fear because of God's constant sufficiency. If we are hidden in Christ, we can overcome all the things. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That was good. Thank you. Um, the different workshops that we had last week were about all sorts of different things. I don't think anyone else produced a finished piece of work out of it. I think the those painting produced all kinds of different things. There were some nice bunches of flowers that came out of the walk down the towpath. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. In all of these things, God is tugging at us and saying, come with me. That's what I... I don't know what... I, what you felt as we heard those words of scripture being read in the way that was prepared for us. But God's tugging at us saying, come on, come with me. You can spend time with me. I want to spend time with you, whether it's here, now, at work tomorrow, in your lunch break tomorrow, if you get one, walking on the way, wherever it may be. God's tugging at us and saying, come with me. It's possible to spend time with him every day. We know that if we did that, 
if we spent time with Jesus every day, then we would have great lives. We'd have great intimacy with him, great enjoyment of life. We would see more miracles, more provision, all of those things that we can get excited about, like hearing of what God's done with Rebecca, um, sorry, with Hannah uh, this week. Uh, And it's through that close walk with God that we'll have a great impact on the world. If that's what gets you out of bed each morning, is wondering how you're going to make a difference then it's that walk with Jesus that's going, to make a diff- that's going to make all the difference to that. So I'm going to ask a question. I think I know what the answer will be. In the light of all of that understanding, who is now spending all the time with the Lord that they need to? We've been looking at this for three weeks now. Who is now spending all the time with the Lord that they need to? Lulu is. <laughs> Praise God. You're at the far end of the curve of holiness, Lulu. <laughs> so let's pause and think about that. Three weeks of looking at this, how many of us would say, yes, life is now looking like it should? Not many. So why is that? Well, the answer, of course, is, oh, what's that? Is that it's a battle, it's a battle picture. Is it really is a fight. If there's anything I can say from my Eddie the Eagleness, it's surely this, that the battle to establish the right patterns of life is a fierce battle indeed. It is not one that is easily won. And this battle is not with our diaries. It's not with time. It's not actually a battle with work. It's not actually a battle with the worries of life. But it's truly a battle with sin. And it's not an easy battle. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul describes spiritual warfare. And he writes this from verse 3. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world... On the contrary, they have power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And, he says, we'll be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Here, Paul describes the warfare that he needs to engage with in the church in Corinth for their good, for them to enjoy the full blessings of the gospel that he's preached to them. And he says this, that what we really battle with, where the heat of the battle lies, is about every thought, 
every act being obedient to Christ. That's the hard battle. Of course, you know, when it comes to getting our daily patterns of life as they should be, you know, the exact shape of these challenges is unique to our time in history. John Calvin did not pop into B&Q on Sunday afternoons and then miss church because he was absorbed in DIY. Martin Luther didn't go to bed late because he flipped TV channels and got into a film that went on past midnight. Uh, John Wesley did not press a button on his Bible that opened up his Facebook app. And uh, the disciples on the the road to Emmaus didn't get any text messages that distracted them from listening to Jesus. Those things didn't happen. Some of the challenges, that things that may absorb us and distract us are unique to our time. Yet one way or another, all generations have faced this act, uh, this dynamic of spiritual warfare. It's taken different forms at different times and in different places, but the fight is not with our emails or whatever else it is that comes to mind for you as you start the day and as you close the day. The fight is not with technology or with our work responsibilities, but with sin. Huh. If we're honest, we know it, don't we? Why am I tempted to make the first thing I do each day to be to see, uh, wake up, having breakfast, open up my emails and see what messages have come to me? Why do I do that? Now... I could kid myself that it's because I'm getting on top of things, I want to know what's coming at me and get into the day. If I'm honest, what's really going on is pride and fear. I I like to give the impression to people that I'm on top of things and I like to get back, I don't always manage it, but I like to get back to people who get in touch with me quickly and appropriately, even intelligently, if I can, maybe even with some spiritual wisdom. And I'm drawn to doing something that might make me look better. And if I name that motivation, it's pride. The opposite end of it is I'm afraid And it's a completely irrational fear that if I don't stay on top of things of that practical nature in my life, then people will cease to value me and I'll I'll be out of a job and how will I make life work anymore? It's irrational, but then sin is irrational. Pride and fear are at play. I'm not fighting my inbox I'm fighting my sin. Now, that is actually really good news because there are no promises in Scripture about getting your inbox clear. There are no promises in Scripture that you'll get all of the allocated work given to you done. There are no promises 
that you will raise all the funds you need to with what you do today or that you will clear the backlog of patients waiting to see you by the time you're supposed to go home or whatever it may be. There are not promises to that effect, but there are great, great scriptural promises that we will defeat sin. And so let's turn to a couple of chapters in Romans which discuss this fight with sin. It starts off saying something very honest, if a little depressing, about sin, and then gets better. In Romans chapter 7, I'm reading from verse 15, Paul says this, I don't understand what I do. Can anyone relate to that? I, I I don't even... It's not even that he's got as far as saying, I don't know why I do it. I don't know what I do. I don't even know what I'm doing. Why am I here? Why did I do that? I don't know. I don't even know what it was I just did. I do, for what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I don't want to do, then I agree that the law is good. He's got some standards. He knows what he's after. and knows what God's after in him. Just can't do it. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I've the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. Now, if there was ever a a headline to stick over having a daily time with the Lord, that's probably it right there, isn't it? I have the desire but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. And so verse 21, I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Now, you're about to tell, those of you who know me, how much I've been struggling with preparing for this morning's message because I've had to resort to a diagram which is like my instinctive way of thinking and I've not got beyond it so for some of you you're like oh good others of you are there we are here we are Romans 7 and 8 we're going to get to victory through the spirit in a minute this is how we typically think of ourselves that here's me with my, all of my thoughts in my head that I need to control and bring obedient to Christ, all of the tasks that there are for me to do, and my schedule, my diary, whether you keep a diary or not, you've got some idea of what life involves and when you need to be here and when you need to be there, and you're in charge of that. But what Paul says here is actually there's another thing at play here, which is that sin rules over that natural part of the, our natural selves and we can't do it. We can't get up when we should. We can't go to bed when we should very basically. At least some of us struggle with those things. We can't open our Bibles instead of opening up Facebook or we can't withdraw and spend time with Jesus rather than spending our time down the pub. Whatever it is for you that gets in the way, reading every book that's been published other than the Bible, I don't know, whatever it may be, 
There's sin at work, motivations that are contrary to godliness, and they have this power over us. And the truth is that I can't just sort it all out by trying harder. Paul goes on to say, Romans 7 verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Now, there's much more that could be said from these few verses. There's rich theology here. In verse 1 of Romans 8, it says this, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So there's another box to come here, which is that the Spirit has power over our sin. We ourselves, in our natural energies, as we would try to rule our own lives, lack the power. The sin in us knocks us off course regularly, and we can all relate to these verses of Paul's I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. The answer lies in the spirit, not in stronger willpower, not in more intelligent lists of things to do. Uh, It doesn't lie in finding the right app that will sort things out for you. A couple of weeks ago, talking about daily engaging with God, I encourage people to put a an alarm on their phone to go off at the same time every day as a prompt to prayer. I don't know how many of you did that. I've had that on my phone doing that for ooh, a year or so now. More, This is the truth. More often than not, when it goes off, I think, oh, I can do that later. I'm in the middle of something. So in a good moment, I've set something up to interrupt me knowing that I, it, it should. But in the moment, I think that whatever I'm doing is more important than connecting with God. This is my ineptitude. Is that a word? Actually, it's my, it's my sin. How do we name this sin? Well, maybe it's Pride or ambition, that actually my activity in the next 30 seconds, it doesn't take long to pray the Lord's Prayer, my activity in the next 30 seconds is absolutely essential. Something awful will happen if I don't continue my activity that I'm currently engaged in for the next 30 seconds. That, that's, the thought that, if I'm, that's the thought that's going on there, isn't it? That's probably conceited, maybe vain. I'm trying to find the right name for this sin that is at work in me, that I rate my energy and activity so highly 
and the need to engage with God lower than that. I'm a work in progress. This reality that it's by the Spirit uh, leads to some very practical, simple application, which is really just that we pray for God's help. Verse 13 in Romans chapter 8 says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, that is sin, you'll live. So by the Spirit, put sin to death. It's really straightforward. What is that like? It's really straightforward. It involves just asking for the Holy Spirit's help. We, I hope that sometimes you pray prayers like this. You say, oh God, I didn't pray this morning. I don't even know why. don't know why I didn't. I wanted to, but I didn't. And if I'm honest, I can't think of any realistic plan that's going to make any difference to that tomorrow. Oh God, please help. Amen. That would be a very honest prayer for many of us. That is the prayer that acknowledges the Spirit's priority, the Spirit's preeminence, and invites him to come in. And for him to deal with our sin that we do not have the power to conquer. Yeah? It's really simple. We can see an example of it being fleshed out a little bit more, and I think this might be helpful. How do we put our sin to death by the Spirit? Well, there's a, the first example that we're given of this, the first example in the New Testament after Jesus has returned to heaven, the first example after the Spirit has come on the first day of the life of the church as we know it, is in Acts chapter 2, and... The Holy Spirit comes, people speaking in tongues. Please, God, may that be happening upstairs. And Peter preaches a sermon. And at the end of the sermon, it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, because he'd been telling them, you killed Jesus. Amongst other things. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to suggest that there are three things here that were going on. They were cut to the heart about having killed Jesus. First thing that goes on here is that God uncovers some specific sin. Um, I've tried to, to give a couple of examples of how, in, certainly in my own life, I can look at problems and see them as like scheduling problems or something like that. And actually, there's a wonderful moment when, instead of just trying to sort of figure it out, God says, you know, what's going on here? There's this sin here. That is the first step to freedom, isn't it? That's the first step to freedom when it's clear what there is to be dealt with of a spiritual nature. That's the first step to real transformation in our lives. That was the first thing for the people of Jerusalem. Uh, We're naturally 
resistance to this stage in the process, are we not? I was reading just the other day, apparently most students think that they are better than average. (laughs) I also read in the same book, most pastors think that they're better than average preachers. And it can't be true. We're resistant to the process of having the reality of our hearts exposed, but it's the first step towards real change. If we're fighting with surface issues, it's not going to change much. The first thing that God wants to do is to give us a window onto the reality of our hearts, souls, minds. And I pray that that's what he'd do for each one of us. That's the first thing that happened for these people on the day of Pentecost. Second thing was that they were challenged to repent. As many of you will know, the Greek word for repent is metanoia, which means change your mind. That's the choice. Repentance is what you do when you change your mind. I was thinking that. I did have proud thoughts, whatever it may be. I am changing my mind. I'm changing my view of myself. I'm changing my view of God. I'm going to embrace some different thoughts and a different way of looking at things. Of course, we're naturally resistant to this too, aren't we? It's actually quite hard work to change your mind. it, It involves admitting that what we thought before was wrong. And, um... It's a lot easier when God puts his finger on some aspect of sin in our lives. It's a lot easier to rationalise it than to repent. So, you know, it's perfectly understandable, is it not, to be angry when someone dents your car. Or, horror of horrors, jumps the queue. (laughs) Perfectly understandable to be angry (laughs) in this country. Perfectly understandable, but you know what? It's still a sin. Lots of our sin is perfectly understandable, and if we take long enough, we can find a way of making it seem quite normal and natural, but it's still a sin. And at that point, we're challenged to change our minds. Of course, we might also take comfort in the fact that at least we're better than other people. I can always find someone who is more proud than me, lazier than me, more greedy than me. I mean, I can see a few. (laughs) And that can just totally let me off the hook. You know, I can be content to be somewhere near the front of the pack rather than embracing God's laser-like focus on true holiness. So the first thing is there's an uncovering of some sin that is a work of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? God does that. And then there's a need to repent. But we are resistant to that as well. And then the last thing in the baptism is that they were called upon to do something specific, to an action that would reflect the inward change. In their case, it was being baptised. That's not always the default response. Every time God uncovers a sin, you have to ask, God, what is it that I should be doing differently now 
in the light of this specific thing. We're resistant to that as well, aren't we? It's a lot easier to repent internally but not tell anyone or change anything. I've lost track of the number of times I've repented of being mean and stingy but made no difference in my financial giving. I don't know whether you've done that one as well. It's a lot easier. I'm really sorry, God, but I haven't written any checks. Whatever it may be. Ha. Uh, this is often the hardest part. There's a lot of Christians who aren't baptised, for example. God's revealed to them their need for salvation. They've repented and believed, but not got baptised. There's, there's all kinds of things that God asks us to do that at the point of acting in obedience we find difficult. I find this difficult. I honestly do. And uh, sometimes I don't even know what the right thing is to do. Uh, I think I may have mentioned this in preaching before, so forgive me. But it's probably about a year ago that God was really starting to knock on my door and say, Steve, you can't carry on doing as much as you do on the amount of time that you spend with me. It's just, you haven't got that right. And you need to spend more time with me. And, you know, I have, I'm an ambitious person. I have an ambition to do much good in the world. Ambition to see the kingdom of God come. So godly ambitions, but ambitious. Want things to go well. And God's saying, well, I get your desire, but I'm going to resist your success until you learn to step away from that and spend time with me. So I heard that. God spoke clearly enough that even I got it. And then I thought, okay, well, I need to do something about that. I need to spend more time with God. And I, need some, I know that it's not an easy change to do more of that, so I'll, I'll be accountable about it. And you know what? I can kill a few birds with one stone. I could... Um, use this as an opportunity as I'm working this through to work it through with my older daughters as well what I'll do is I'll create a star chart um, and we'll all have our you know have we spent time with the Lord today stickers star stickers star chart me Amber Lois brilliant that'll work I thought I then participated soon after that and many of you know that I joining regularly a a discipleship group with other church leaders online called Huddle. Our French um, friends in Paris, by the way, they have a similar group that is called an Huddle, (laughs) which I find quite amusing. Uh, And I was explaining this to these other pastors of churches, and they started laughing at me. And they said, you can't even see it, can you? You can't even see what you've just done. See, the problem that is, God's trying to deal with your ambitious, goal-oriented heart. And you have responded with a star chart. (laughs) And, worse than that, you've dragged your two oldest daughters into it as well. Can, can you see that? They said, you need some other discipline. That discipline is not going to work for you. 
we had a little think about it together. At that time, I was still finishing off my theology degree and really, 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 really wanting to get a first because, you know, ambitious. It'll obviously save the world far better with a first-class degree than a <laughs> two-one, so that's the way to do it. And the discipline that I embraced was to spend no more than a third of the time on my study that I was supposed to and then get whatever grades I got. Boy, was that hard. Some of you are thinking, that sounds how I've lived my whole life. (laughs) What's so hard about that? That's... For me, for me, that was really hard. You need to understand that for me, when I when I was started doing this theology degree, when I got marks come back from my tutors that were anything less than top notch, I found myself writing an email pointing out to them how bad a tutor they were, (laughs) and then then I stop and get a cup of coffee and come back and think, what am I doing? Supposed to be learning. Idiot. So um, that's what I did. I finished off my I finished off my course doing nothing like the amount of work that I should do, except on one project. I had one particular dissertation to write. I just I just I'd already done eighty percent of the work on it, and I just couldn't bring myself to let it go. My tutor said to me about this project that I'd done when I finished it, putting in the extra work. It was one of the best undergraduate theses he'd ever seen. Hmm, great. Unfortunately, the examiners gave me a low 2-2 for it. Which I think was just God having a laugh, really. (laughs) Whereas the other module that I had to finish, that I did a quarter of the work on, I got a first on that module. I used to think, oh, Lord, why am I still so dense spiritually? There are these steps to the process. God will speak to it. But Romans 7 and 8, we can't do any of this in our own strength. In all of this, if we think that we can just do it, then we'll find that sin is still there and knocks us off course. But with the help of the Spirit, all of these things will flow in our lives. We can ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, please, you know, I keep fiddling about trying to change things, but I'm not getting to the heart of the matter. Show me my sin. What's really going on here? What's, re- what's really going on that means that Lulu's the only one in the whole church who's spending all the time with Jesus that she should? What is that? God, show me what the sin is. Holy Spirit, help me change my mind. I kind of want to and I kind of don't, and the don't is likely to win. Holy Spirit, help me. Help me change my mind. Holy Spirit, show me what to do so that we don't use star charts to overcome ambition or, you know, trying harder to overcome pride or whatever it may be.
Show us what it is we should do. Last thought here. Oh, oh, that, oh no, that's not. I've got two thoughts. I'd forgotten that I'd put this in. That's the process. Some revelation from God, some repentance, some acting in faith. But what I've written underneath there is this, that the change that we need to see will come through many small acts of obedience. And when I said earlier, look, we had three weeks on this. Why haven't you sorted it out? It was slightly unfair as a question because the change in our pattern of life such that it becomes normal for us to spend time with God every day is going to take time. If I'd said, if I'd been preaching a sermon on forgiveness, you know, it's really bad for us to be carrying bitterness, we need to forgive people, but we could finish that kind of sermon and say, right then, if they're here, go talk to them. If they're not here, you know, you, you've got the week. By next week, it could all be sorted. There are some things in life that can get sorted like that. The pattern of life that we live is not one of those. There are layers <laughs> that's the scriptures being read out it's all right no no don't worry Lynn it's fine I'm delighted that you have a phone that talks the word of God to you it's really good I wish I had one um, I probably do I just anyway I'm saying that there's lots of small acts of obedience so that if there's a process that we go round of hearing God, responding internally, responding externally. I couldn't find a better picture of a helix than that. But the real change in our lives is going to happen as we go round that circle again and 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 again. And that's where real transformation will take place in our patterns of life. There's not just one moment of change in repentance. And for that reason... We need help from other people. Here's an athlete helping someone else over the finishing line. We need help from other people to see long-lasting change in the pattern of our lives. We need help to see the truth of our lives. Part of the reason I'm feeling a little bit sort of beaten up in this whole area is that about three months ago, with the discipleship group for leaders that I run across a few churches, our region of churches... Um, I brought up the issue of the pattern of life that we lead and sought to bring some teaching about the pattern of life that we lead, should lead, and what are we going to do about it. The first time we did it, it somehow ended up with everybody pointing the finger at me <laughs> and saying, y- y- you're the one with the biggest problem here in the room. So I fought and closed the conversation, as you do. The next time we talked about it, I thought, well, this, I've thought about what their problems are a bit more clearly. <laughs> so this one could go a bit better. It wasn't far into the conversation before everyone was again pointing the finger at me. Saying, no, you're, you're the one who's crazy busy and not doing what you should be and can't say no to things and all the rest of it. And gradually the penny dropped. We need other people to help us see. This is the way that the Holy Spirit likes to work. He likes to, te- he likes to talk to us about our sin 
through other people. Have you noticed that? <laughs> we need other, we won't actually see things clearly without the help of other people to speak truth to us. It says in Proverbs 27, the wounds of a friend are to be trusted. Uh, we need help with other people in changing our minds as well. We do. We need help with other people to see things through. Um, a discipline that I've embraced with Keith and Andy at the moment is that every fortnight we're meeting and anything that I agree to do, they effectively have a veto over me doing it. So I have a, you know when you sign a financial contract, you have a cooling off period, 14 days. I have a 14 day cooling off period from any commitment I make. And they have the right to say, you sh- shouldn't be doing that. You're trying to save the world in your own strength again. Instead of praying, I would not be able to change without the help of others. And I know that's true for you too. So what we're going to do now is we're going to break bread. Um, I haven't talked to Grace about this, but it makes sense to me that we break bread in groups together and pray for one another. Um, I'd like to suggest that... um, That could be a good expression of the fact that we need each other. If God speaks to you as we're breaking bread about how to pray for others, if God brings to mind any way in which it would be good to challenge others or support others, let's be open to that and allow breaking bread together to be our response. As we come to the end of this series, it would be such a shame... (laughs) If we'd spent a month looking at the subject of what do our lives look like, are we really enjoying God day by day, and uh, then turn away and live unchanged lives. So I'm really trusting that God will meet with us as we break bread to cement whatever changes he wants to make in us today.